Welcome to the Southridge Church Podcast. This week's awesome message will start in a few seconds. But first, we want you to stay connected with us. You can find us on sanjose.cc or subscribe to the podcast. Amen. Welcome to Southridge Church. We're so excited to see each and every one of you here. Thank you for standing. Maybe seated. This is your first time at Southridge. We're grateful and thrilled that you would join our services. If at any point you need anything, just let one of our ushers know. We'd love to serve you in any way we can. If this is your first time here at Southridge, we're so grateful that you're here. If you would do us a favor and take out a Connect card, and if this is your first time, just fill out that card at the end of the service. When we receive our offering, if you drop that in the offering basket, we can have a record of your attendance, as well as stay in touch and be able to follow up with you. Once again, we're thrilled that you're here. We're looking forward to what God is going to do and some great things. If you want to stay connected with us, we do have a church app. We'd love for you to just take a picture of the uh, QR code and download that app. Stay connected, up to date. You want to join a ministry, prayer request, whatever you might need. It's all right there in the app and you can stay connected with us. Well, we're in a series entitled Discipleship, and uh, this is part three of our series that we kicked off last week. But I'm so glad that you're here on this Memorial Day weekend. You guys are the committed ones. I just got to tell you that. You are in church on Memorial Day weekend, so that means you're a super Christian, okay? So pat yourself on the back. Just know that you are a committed super Christian, or you do not have friends that invite you out on the weekend. That, that's one or the other. You just, maybe you need more friends. I don't know. But we're glad that you're here, and and I'm so thrilled to be together. But no, in all seriousness, I do believe this is the committed group of people who say, I want to hear from God and I want uh, God to have my full heart and I want to serve him and follow him. And so that's what discipleship is all about. Take your Bible, if you would, the book of Luke chapter number nine, Luke chapter number nine. And we're going to be in a passage of scripture because I, I think we're getting it. I think as a church, as a community, we are getting that discipleship's a big deal. It's important. And many of us say, yes, I get it. The first week was like discipleship is vital, needs to go viral. That was quotable, tweetable. Uh, put it on Instagram, Snapchat. I did a reel about it. it it's out there. That's great. Excellent. And then last week, we looked at how we are called to follow the follower. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And so we understand that it's not, Paul was not saying follow me, but follow me because of who I'm following. And so we follow the follower, the one who's following Jesus. And that's what a disciple maker is. A disciple maker simply says, I'm pursuing God with everything I've got, all my heart, all my soul. I'm pursuing him so you can follow me because I'm following him. And we use the illustration of, remember in preschool or maybe in grade school, you had the line leader. And uh, they, they got to hold the front of the rope. And somebody was the caboose. And they had the back of the rope. And the line leader was a big deal. You got to lead everybody else. And everybody else is following you. But really, the line leader is just following the teacher, wherever the teacher goes. And that's what we're doing. We're just following the master, wherever he goes. So you can follow us. And that's how discipleship takes place. But this week, discipleship, why is it so needed? Because our church, like so many churches, is great at reaching the lost and losing the found. We're great at it. We reach so many lost people. We see them saved. We see them baptized. And then a few weeks later, we're like, where did they go? They're gone. Why is that? Because they didn't get rooted and grounded in something deeper beyond just feelings and emotion. And a lot of Christianity starts out in the feeling, the emotional, but it needs to move beyond that to something that has some depth, some staying power. And that process is called the discipleship process. You see, when you came to Christ, something happened. This first circle happened. 
And I'm going to turn this so we try to get a good view. And that was you were exploring God. Before you ever were a Christian, you were exploring God. Maybe you had somebody in your life, a parent, a teacher, a coworker, a friend, somebody at school, somebody in college, somebody at work, somebody in the neighborhood would talk to you about God. Or maybe you used to go to church, you fell out of church, but there was something you knew about God and you were exploring God. And there was a fellowship of people around you that were pointing you towards Christ. But you're not a Christian yet. You're just exploring God. You may be a skeptic, agnostic, or you may have been even an atheist. But then somebody began to talk to you about God. And something in your heart began to just kind of crack open to receive the message that God had for you. You were exploring God, but then one day something amazing happened. You encountered God. There was a moment that changed everything. You encountered that Jesus died on the cross for your sin, for my sin. And you received that gift of salvation. You repented of your sin. You turned to Christ. And that moment happened. And then you've moved from exploring God to what I would call this next bubble. And that is you are now beginning in God. You're a baby Christian. Brand new. Everything's new. Everything's exciting. Man, this is great. You're a new Christian in Christ. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. But how did you get from exploring God to beginning in God? What, how did you get there? That's a good question to ask. You got from here to here through grace. That's how you got there. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace are you saved through faith that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Grace got you there. Grace got you there. But here's the thing about grace. Grace is amazing. Grace is great. Grace is awesome. But we can't stay in grace. We've got to keep growing. Uh, nobody's life that is living is static. We're always moving somewhere. We're either moving forward or you're moving backward. But nobody's just static. I know many times we feel stuck, though. Maybe emotionally you feel stuck. Maybe you just feel like, man, my life, where it's at. Maybe you're, maybe you're in the middle of your career and you're like, man, I have just as many years in with this company as I don't. And I'm just, I, ah, I'm not sure what to do. Midlife crisis. You're just stuck. Well, we don't just stay stuck in grace. Many people think, well, to experience grace, I need to sin. Paul said, should we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. God doesn't want you to stay here. He wants you to grow. So what's the next thing? So we said this is fellowship, but you got here because you understand this is relationship. God has a relationship with you. That's a big deal. You now have a relationship. But we don't just stay in the beginning of God. We continue to grow. We continue to experience him. We want to now get to this next bubble, and that's where we want to get close to God. We want to get close to God. This process is called discipleship. You say, I want to get closer to God. It happens through discipleship, where God, where we are developing our full God-given potential. That's discipleship. But you say, how do I get from beginning in God? I'm going to draw a bigger bubble that's kind of small there. How do you get from uh, beginning in God to wanting to get closer to God? That's the next phase, and that happens through God's Word. You see, today we live in a culture and a society that no longer emphasizes this book. That this book, it's, it's a good book. It's got some good things, but it's not an authority for my life. It has some ideas. It's informational. It's a good book. It's got some good information. But this book's just merely informational. No, no, my friend. The Bible is not just good for information. You say, oh, I know, I know, I know. It's good for inspiration. <laughs> it is, amen. But it's not just good for inspiration. It's also good for instruction and righteousness. 
And so today we live in a culture that no longer wants to see this book as the authority in my life, that I look at this word and that's how I grow closer to God because God wrote me a love letter. The love letter is 66 books of the Bible. That's his love letter to us. We love getting notes and cards and letters. And God says, I wrote one for you and it'll give you instruction. Somebody made an acronym, the Bible, basic instructions for believers before leaving earth, Bible. See, that's what the Bible is, but that's the only way we're gonna grow. A lot of people think, can it just happen by a process of osmosis? No, get in your Bible. The psalmist said, early will I seek you. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against God. You see, the Bible, it is not just good for information and inspiration. It's good for instruction. But understand, the scripture, God doesn't want you to just stay here and getting close to God. There's a fourth bubble, and this is where we get to a GC. This is a God-centered life, and this is the process of lordship, where God is over everything in your life. But you say, okay, I get from exploring God to beginning God by grace. I get from beginning to God to a God-centered life. That's God's word. How do I get to a God-centered life? You get there simply because you get beginning uh, this new thing where you understand giving. You say, oh, I knew it. He's going to talk about money. Man, I should have left my wallet at home. Can't believe it. This pastor just wants money. Man, I can't, he's got to afford his lavish lifestyle. That's why he wants money. No, no, this is not giving simply ourselves. And you can write that down. This is just giving of selves. Sorry, bad, bad grammar. I'm homeschooled. All right, there you go. I really am. I'm not dissing homeschooled. I just didn't have a very good one. Uh, so understand that when it comes to getting uh, Closer to God, that is God's word. But you say, I want to have a God-centered life. That's about giving. For God so loved the world that he gave. You see, you and I will never have a God-centered life without giving. Now, here's the thing. Oftentimes, we look at this process in a life that is continually happening. We look at chronologically. You say, what do you mean chronologically? This is graduation season. How many of you, you're going to a college or a high school graduation? Let me see your hands. Anybody? Yes. Well, there's less in this service than I thought. I... This is graduation and wedding season. So I'm just busy going to graduations and weddings. There's just tons of stuff going on. But we're seeing people graduate, and God wants us to graduate in this process. But it's not like first grade, second grade, third grade. This is not chronological. When you were saved, you know your starting point? Many people would say, I know I started. I started right here. That's when I was saved. That was where I started. That's where we think we started. But that's actually not where you started. You actually started, when you first received Christ, you know where you actually started? You started right here. Your life was God-centered. It's like a new relationship. First time you uh, uh, start a new relationship, everything's amazing, right? That person can do no wrong. Everything's perfect. Everything they say, everything they do, even when they chew, it's perfect. They just chew perfectly. It's amazing. Let a few years go by. They're chewing well, you, you're like, I'm about to end your life. Your chewing is so obnoxious. Just like, you know, it's so annoying, you know? And it's amazing how everything started out great. God-centered. You see, when you first became a Christian, you couldn't wait to tell people about Jesus. You couldn't wait to invite people to church. You couldn't wait to get in the Bible. You couldn't wait to get to the service. Matter of fact, you were like, there's two. I'll take two scoops, please, of church. You just love being around God because you were God-centered. But then life happens the cares of this world. Scripture talks about the deceitfulness of Satan begins to creep in and your life starts to actually move backwards in this process to the point where 
Some people may not even be able to recognize you because now you're almost here because now you've got a sense of entitlement. Church was too hot. Church was too cool. The cold. The music wasn't my taste. The preaching went too long. The preaching was too short. The preaching wasn't deep enough. wasn't wide enough. wasn't this. Oh, the pastor didn't dress like this. Didn't remember my birthday. Didn't say my name. Oh, people aren't friendly at that church. We were moving backward. Instead of a God-centered life, we have a me-centered life. It's all about me and my needs and what I'm looking for. And that's consumerism. That's not giving, is it? You see, when you understand giving, you understand yourself. You're like, hey, this is cool. Whatever I get, I'm good. I'm happy with this. And so we're talking about this. But what stops this process from happening? That was a long introduction. But what stops this process from happening? That's the question we want to ask. And Luke 9 is going to answer that. So take your Bible if you have it. Luke chapter number 9. Luke 9. And we're going to be at this end of a couple verses. We're just going to look at the end of the chapter, although I would encourage you, get your Bible out and go back and read through this entire chapter on your own time because it's so rich and so deep. But notice if you would, there are some people that they want to be disciples of Jesus. Let's pick it up in verse number 57. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road, underline the word road, I'm going to come back to it at the end of the service, that someone said to him, Lord, I will follow you wherever you go. Man, isn't that awesome? Isn't that the best thing you want to hear? As a pastor, I love it when people are like just on what we call on fire for God. And they're like, pastor, I will do whatever you want. I will be there anytime. I will help out in any way. I'm just on fire. And typically my response is like, let's fan that flame, man. Let's get that going. But notice Jesus' response. Unlike anybody else. The next verse says this in verse number 58. And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. What a strange answer. Jesus doesn't say, oh, that's great. Man, I'm excited. Join the club. You'll be the 13th apostle of Jesus Christ. It's a great club. The water's warm. Come on in. That's not what Jesus does. He says something you almost want to scratch your head and be like, now, what does that have to do with the price of tea in China? I mean, I just don't get it. Why would Jesus talk about foxes and birds and nests? I mean, it doesn't make any sense. But we got to keep reading. Verse number 59 says, Then he said to another, Follow me. But he said, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Oh, man, this guy just lost his dad. I was with a friend of mine that just three weeks ago, he lost his father. That's, that's devastating. Notice what Jesus says to this guy. Verse 61, or excuse me, verse 60, Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead? Whoa, Jesus. I know we don't have zombies or anything like that, but what are you talking about? And, but go and preach the kingdom of God. How insensitive, Jesus. Continues. And also another, this is the third guy in verse 61, said, Lord, I will follow you, but let me first go and bid them farewell who are at my house. That's reasonable. Let me say goodbye to my family before I sell out for you, God. Let me, let me go and spend time with my family one last time because I'm about to give everything. I'm about to, I'm about to follow you, lock, stock, and barrel. I'm about to sell out, get rid of everything, and I'm going to follow you. You're going to be my number one, but just, just hold on a little bit. And then Jesus says in verse 62, but Jesus said to him, no one having put his hand to the plow and looking back is fit for the kingdom of God. Here we have three would-be disciples. But what stopped them? And here's what's also interesting. The writer is Luke. Luke does not record these three guys, their response. Did you notice that? We don't know what happened to those three guys. Implying 
the emphasis is not on their response, but the reader's response. The emphasis is for you and for me to determine what we will do. See, we live in a Christian world where we want to know, hey, are they doing it? Somebody invites you over. Well, who else is going? Why does it matter who else is going? Are you going? I'm asking you. I'm not asking about them. And then they come back. Well, if they're not going, then I'm not going. And sometimes it's exactly reversed. Well, if they're going, I'm definitely not going. You know, it's like, why do we have that mentality today? If God is calling us and we say, hey, Jesus is calling me, I got to follow. But we live in a culture today that simply says, who else is doing it? If it's popular, if it's cool, then I will think about doing it. You see, today, what is keeping us? And I think the first guy, his reputation kept him. Because you say, what do you mean? I don't, I don't see reputation there. What Jesus was trying to tell the first person, because he is, he's excited. Jesus just did some amazing things in chapter number nine. And in that passage, Jesus did some incredible miracles. So this guy, he's pumped up. This is Jesus. He's got a following. He's got a crowd. I want to follow Jesus because look at what Jesus gets. People are following him. They're listening to him. He's healing people. He's doing miracles. He's, he's curing diseases. This guy's awesome. Jesus, I want to follow you. This guy at least initiates it. This guy's like, Jesus, please let me follow you. And Jesus can see right to the heart and says, I, I know why you're following me. The foxes, they got a hole. When the hunter is chasing them, they got somewhere to hide. They got somewhere to run to. They got something to make life comfortable in the storm. The birds, man, when there's a storm, when they need to get somewhere for shelter and safety, something for comfort, they've got a nest. And Jesus says, I don't have that. If you're going to follow me, there's nothing to run to when things get tough. There's no comfortable place for me to put my head. This, is, this calling is not about comfort. And in our day and age, we love comfort, don't we? If you ask my wife and I, I said, do you guys like to camp? We were like, no, we like to glamp, but we don't camp. We want comfort. Is there an outlet? Is there Wi-Fi? Is there a hot shower? Then I'll camp, camp. But that's not even camping. Some of you are like, that's not camping. No, camping, you don't take a shower for three days. You eat grass and it's fun. I was like, that's not fun. I don't want to be out in the woods. I got a perfectly good bed that I paid a lot of money for. I want to go sleep in my own bed and I want a hot shower. And I don't care about the water bill. I'm just, I just want a hot shower. But yet some people are like, no, I like the wild and I like the wilderness. And Jesus is saying, I don't have those creature comforts. So do you still want to follow me? No response. Because he cared about his reputation. And today, oftentimes, we allow our reputation to mess with our resolve to follow Jesus. So Jesus is testing this man's resolve. But Jesus is not saying you're going to be homeless. I think sometimes people say, well, I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm, I'm not going to have a home. I'm going I'm to be destitute, have nothing. That's not the message Jesus is getting. What Jesus is doing, he's trying to refer him back to what he said in the same chapter. Verse 23, he says, you want to follow me? Here's what it's going to take. Verse 23, then he said to them, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. He says, you're going to follow me? Then there's a cross on your back. Then you let go of comfort, and you say, Lord, I'm going to pursue you. I want to pursue you. But also, taking up a cross means your reputation's at stake. So that's the first person. But I think this is interesting. This first guy, he was interested, but he wasn't willing to get invested. And I think sometimes we're like that. We're interested in God, but are we willing to get invested? Are we willing to say, Lord, whatever it takes, I will follow you. So that's the first guy. Notice the second guy, verse 59. And then he said to another, follow me. So the first guy initiated, this guy, Jesus invites him, follow me. But he said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said to him, let the dead bury their own dead. But you go and preach 
the kingdom. In this passage, we think Jesus' words are harsh. Like, Jesus, that's so mean. This guy's dad just passed away. You won't let him put his family first before you? You won't let him grieve? Understand what's happening here. In that day and age, if you wanted to get out of something, somebody needed some help or somebody wanted you to do something, you would say, hey, I got I to gotta go bury my father. It was a colloquialism that, in turn, it meant this. It meant, hey, my father's going to die one day. We don't know when, but I need to be there to take care of him. And it's like, well, your dad's healthy, strong. That could be a while. It's like, exactly. Therefore, I'm not going to help you. It's a polite way of saying, no, thank you. Thanks, but no thanks. Because also, if you stayed and helped your father, whoever stayed and helped got the father's wealth. So he was considering his own interest. But think about this. Too often I hear people say, oh, I can't serve God. I got to put my family first because I don't want to lose my family for the ministry. And I have seen it exact opposite. More often than not, I've seen people lose not their family for ministry. I've seen them lose their family because they wouldn't invest in ministry. They wouldn't prioritize God as first in their life. And many times we are looking for something else to blame. Instead of saying, Lord, I'm going to put you first. I'm going to seek you first. And I know you're going to give me the wisdom and the tools to rightly pursue my family and take care of them. See, this other guy, first one wanted this reputation. The second one cared about relationships. And Jesus was simply saying, let the spiritually dead bury the dead. You don't get the things of God. You don't get that there's another kingdom we need to serve. That there's another king that we need to pursue. That we need to bring about his will on this earth. Then we get the third one, verse 61. Another said, Lord, I will follow you. And then something happens right after it says, Lord, I will follow you. Do you see that word? What is that word? But. I will follow you, but. I want to take you out to eat sometime, but. I would pay for lunch, but. I would go on that mission trip, but. I would be more faithful in church, but. I would like my neighbors better, but I would be a better coworker, but you see what we do? We allow butts to get in our way of what doing what God has called us to do. We allow these things to stop us. We allow these things. And here's what's amazing. In our minds, these reasons seem reasonable. All of it seems reasonable, doesn't it? In your mind, it seems reasonable. Oh, I can go a while without God. I don't need to be in his word every day. And we say this. God knows my heart. God knows my heart. What do we really mean by that? We're trying to justify our excuse. We're trying to say, it seems reasonable. My reason is reasonable for not following Jesus, but Jesus is going to deal with that. Their reasons seem reasonable, but understand, all of these are conditions that they are placing on Christ. You know, whenever you place conditions on a relationship, there's always going to be a conflict. When you say, hey, for this relationship to work out, just understand, I don't do the dishes. Hmm, You're going to have some conflict. Hey, for this relationship to work out, just understand, I don't cook. Okay, you're going to have some conflict. Hey, for this relationship to work out, just understand, I don't do the laundry. You're going to have some conflict. Because how is it a healthy relationship where you already put your conditions on it? That's more self-centered than anything. That's a one-way relationship. That's saying, it's all about me. I put my conditions down. But yet we do that with God. And we're like, God, 
I will love you. I will serve you. I will follow you. I will sacrifice for you as long as I don't have to sacrifice too much, serve too long, or go too far. And we think we are going to change the world with spare time and spare change. And the world's just sitting back waiting for some Christians to actually be disciples and say, wait a minute, I want to be as close to God as I possibly can. I'm going to live under his lordship. And man, I'm going to give and I'm going to serve and I'm going to make a difference in this world. Culture's waiting for that. Society's waiting for that. But as long as you and I are wrapped up in our reasons, because they all seem reasonable, why you can or can't do something, it all seems reasonable. But notice, I see here, Jesus doesn't try to go after him, does he? You see, when somebody comes to me, I try, I try, to, man, I, I, I try to pour fire on that, that, that passion to serve God. I'm like, yes, this guy's going to serve God. They're going to do great things. And it's almost like when somebody wants to serve God, you want to put them up on the platform. You want to promote them. You want to tell everybody, this is the person. Follow this guy. Follow this woman. They're wanting to serve God. But Jesus, that's the exact opposite of what he does. You see, Jesus understands something that you and I need to get. God doesn't invest in potential. He invests in obedience. You say, what do you mean? Jesus said to two of them, follow me. And they both gave a reason why they couldn't follow right away. And you say, but those reasons are reasonable. Yeah, but they're not the only ones that were called to follow Jesus, are they? Think about a guy by the name of Matthew. He was a tax collector. One day he's sitting at the city. He's collecting taxes. He's sitting there and tax collecting is like a little business back then. And you'd have other little tax collectors and they would knock on your door. And if you owed a hundred dollars, they would say you owed $1,500 because the more they can get from you, whatever they had to give to Rome, they would give to Rome, but whatever extra they could get out of you, man, that was theirs to keep. So they were what you would call an extortionist. So Matthew is not just a tax collector. One of these guys, it means he had a bunch of these guys. And Jesus shows up to Matthew and says, hey, follow me. And the scripture tells us that Matthew got up from the table from receiving money. People are dropping off money. He gets up and he follows Jesus. Isn't that amazing? He left his job. He doesn't say, hey, boss, I got to go. I'm going to take an extended lunch break. I'm going to be gone for a while. How long are you going to be gone? I don't know. Rest of my life. I'll see you later. He takes off. That's Matthew. You say, oh, that's a good illustration, but that's just one. He's not the only one. Jesus is walking by the beach, Sea of Galilee, and he sees two fishermen. They're washing their nets. They just caught a bunch of fish. And he says to them, one's named Peter, the other's Andrew. He says, Peter, follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. The Bible says they left their nets, and they followed him. They left everything, not just their nets, their boats, their business. They left it all to follow Jesus. They didn't wait. They didn't hesitate. They didn't think about it. They didn't pray about it. They didn't say, hey, I need to get counsel. I need to go to my pastor, get some advice. I need to talk to my Facebook friends. I need to circulate this idea. I need to get a committee to see if this is a good thing for my life choices. Let me talk to my life coach about this. Let's see. You know, no, they go, but they're not the only ones. There was also John and his brother. They were there too. And Jesus calls them and says, follow me. And immediately they left their nets and their boat and they started following Jesus. So for these guys, Jesus is not being unreasonable to say, follow me. Because Jesus is saying, I'm worth following. And Jesus understood that he invested in potential, not just potential, but in obedience. You see, increased obedience leads to greater opportunity. But too often we hear God's voice, but we struggle with heeding God's voice. You hear it, but we just don't want to heed it. Some of us are hearing what God is saying, but we don't want to actually do what it says. That's the scary thing. If you and I were really going to say, I'm going to take God's word as the authority of my life, that means I've got to live under that authority. That means this becomes priority in my life. 
And that's a hard thing to do. And today, that's not what we want to hear, is it? We don't want to actually have to live under God's authority. But all of these, we start with reputation, not just reputation. We have relationships, not just relationships. We've got reasons. All of those three kept them from being disciples. But D.L. Moody, a famous evangelist of days gone by, said, anything I put before God is an idol. And today, we live in a culture that we have a lot of idols. You see, in this day and age, idols are becoming the biggest rival to discipleship today. It's our idols. Uh, pastor of days gone by, he said this. He said, uh, our hearts are idol-making factories. Our hearts just make idols. We look for anything to be an idol. Some of you would say, what's your favorite season? Some would say Christmas time, springtime, summertime. Some of you would be like, football season. That's my favorite season. You know, we've got these little idols. Some of them are funny. Some of them are silly. But some of them are legit. Where you're like, my car is my idol. Hey, my spouse is my idol. My boyfriend is my idol. My job is my idol. My family is my idol. It's anything you put before God. And what happens is when you have an idol, that is now a rival to God. And it's amazing because we even got a great song. You have no rival. You have no equal. Except in our hearts, we're like, yeah, actually, God does have a rival. It's me and my flesh. But we get up there and sing the song. God, you have no rival. We get up there and we're clapping. We're, yeah, no rival. This is the first time I've been to church in seven months. What are you talking about? God doesn't have a rival. Our sinful hearts are rivals to God. You see, here's the thing. My heart is rebellious towards God. That's my heart. It's deceitful. It's wicked. It wants to rebel against God. That's our hearts. And we've got to understand what's inside of us is always at, there's a strong biblical word. It's set itself against doing what God wants to do. And you and I in our flesh, we want to give in to it. We don't want to be challenged. We don't want to be told we need to commit. We don't want to be told these things. But the scripture teaches us that we're not to have any other idols before God. But isn't it amazing the idols we put before God? You see, in this passage, Jesus, he's very black and white. He's very matter of fact. He's no nonsense for one reason. Verse 57. Here's the reason why Jesus just doesn't put up with any of their reasons. It's in verse 57. One little word. We said it right when we came in. It says, now it happened as they journeyed on the road. Remember that word road? I had to write it down. I said we were going to come back to it. Here's why Jesus was like, hey guys, I have no time if you want to play games. I have no time for that. Because he's on the road. What road was he on? This is the road to Jerusalem. What was about to happen? He was about to give his life on the cross for you and for me. So he didn't have time for little people that wanted to just take up his time and be pretend disciples for their reputation, for their egos. He's saying, no, if you're following me, this road is a one-way road to Calvary. I'm going to die and I'm going to give my life for you. So do you still think your reasons are reasonable? You see, in our mind, they seem reasonable. In 2019, our church took a mission trip. We went to the country of Panama. Man, we were all excited. We had saved up the money. We go, and it's a third world country. It's developing in uh, uh, early 2000s. I think we gave back the Panama Canal, or excuse me, one of the presidents gave back the canal uh, back to them. So it's developing. They're putting that money back, and they're developing, and they're doing all that. And so we go on this mission trip. And man, as soon as we get there, you know what we did? Good old American missionaries, I guess, for the week. We complained the whole time. It's too hot. I'm sweating. Oh, it's hot. Oh, what are we going to eat? I don't even know what that is. What, what, what's on the plate? What, 
Where's McDonald's? Starbucks, anybody? <laughs> we get to the hotel, I kid you not. We get to the hotel and we walk in and you drop your bag and you're just looking around this hotel. And they said, this is a hotel, we the local stay at. We want to give you a full missionary experience. And I was thinking, hmm, I'd rather not. <laughs> you look around, we go and give them a little key card, go in my room. I open it up, I turn on the lights, and I kid you not, cockroaches scurrying across. Now, not United States cockroaches that are like this tall. This, they should have gave a little red hat and had them take our luggage because he's big. Little kids were riding them. Yeehaw! You know, they were out there just like, these things are massive, man. I'm telling you what. It was incredible to see these little cockroaches going everywhere. And then the rooms are really musty because it's so, the humidity's so bad. So you're like, whew, I can hardly breathe. So the air's kind of moldy. And then I laid in bed and I looked, there was this brown spot above me. I was like, oh man, you know, I'm just worried in the middle of the night. It's just something just going to drip on my face. You get up the next morning, go to breakfast and you're going to the line. And we just complained. It was embarrassing. And then that night we were going to do some ministry. Because in Panama, prostitution is legal. And so the guys were going to go help in homeless ministry because homelessness is different over there. The government gives you zero, nothing. No, if you are homeless, you get nothing. There's nothing there. But then the ladies went to go do ministry with those that were working and getting an income that way. And all of a sudden, our hard hearts begin to soften. The next day, we went to the school that the church ran for the moms so they could put their children in a Christian school that was a private school so their kids would not have to end up in the same lifestyle and business that their mothers were in. And so we went to the school and the joy on these kids' faces, the happiness there. All of a sudden, every day we go back to that hotel, that hotel started to look better. All of a sudden, we were tipping the cockroaches. Here you go. Thank you. So glad you're here. Come back again. Everything began to change. The food began to taste better. Our spirits began to change. What seemed reasonable in our mind when we first arrived, can't believe they didn't have anybody take up our luggage. Can't believe they didn't have the AC on. All that seemed reasonable until you see what everybody else is dealing with. You see, on the road, Jesus says, hey, you are on the road, my friend. We only think it's Jesus on the road. No, all of us are on this road. We're all called to carry our cross, to pick up our cross and follow him. That's what a disciple does. A disciple says, I will take this cross and I will follow Jesus because I am following the, the one who gave his life for me. And that's what we're doing. You see, in this passage, you see people that they had an indecisive heart. That was the first one. He couldn't decide what to do. The second one, he had a divided devotion. And the third one just had half-hearted effort. And that is so indicative sometimes of us, isn't it? That we can be indecisive about following God. Or we can have a divided devotion where we're kind of serving God, we're kind of not. Or we can just have this half-hearted effort. Why is it that everywhere else we go in life, they do things so well? You go to the companies that are around here, everything's perfect. And you come to church, we're just like, oh, just throw it together. It's for God, so it's good enough. And we act like God should be happy with whatever little scraps we can give him. Like, all right, man, the offering plate's coming around. Okay, let's see, let's see. Ah, oh, man, only got 20s, 50s. Ah, oh, it's too big. I don't want to, oh, no, no, no. Oh, I got a dollar. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There we go, God. <laughs> go change the world with that. 
Go support missionaries with that. Go build that orphanage in India with that. Go build the land with that. And we wonder why culture looks at us and is like, man, you Christians, kind of a joke. Instead of us saying, no, 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 we are radically sold out to God. Whatever he asked me to give, I'll gladly give it. I think it's amazing that we think if I sell out to God, that somehow my life is going to be miserable. Somebody asked me the other day, they were like, hey, do you miss your old house? Do you miss that you sold your house? And I said, I honestly haven't thought about it. Because the moment you give something to God, you're so grateful that you had the opportunity to be a part of that moment. And now you're like, God is so good. We sang about it, that he's so good. He'll take care of us. And the longer we live, the longer we get to serve him and sacrifice, we see his goodness to us. Some of you don't know how to sing that God is good because you've never gotten to experience it because you've never had to put yourself in a place where God has come through for you. We've never said, hey, I will sacrifice. I will give because I want to see God do something amazing in my life. Understand, discipleship is the great adventure of doing difficult things. That's what discipleship is. And I get it. We don't want to do difficult things. We want to be comfortable, complacent. And we want to put our contingencies on things. We want to say, God, I will follow you, but let me put these contingencies. Or we're offended that God might even actually have some rules for us to follow. As if no one else ever has any rules. I was reading this week of a company, and to be a part of this place, they have some rules. No running. Up until 2007, no women. This one they still have. No cell phones or electronics. No unattended guests. If you bring somebody, you can't leave them unattended. No backwards hats. You can't wear your hat backwards. Oh, and no moving the chairs. If you see a chair, you can't just, well, I'm going to move it. No, you're not allowed to touch that. You'll break a rule. Uh, they also said there's no membership application. You say, well, how do I be a part of this? Must wear a white jumpsuit. They have a dress code to be a part of this place. Um, and members are not allowed to take their jackets home. You say, this is a weird place. This is a real place. And you know how many people want to get in? Their membership's limited to just 300. There's only 300. It's the most exclusive club in America. It's the Augusta National Golf Association. where do the Masters. That, that's that club. They only have 300 members. There's no membership application. They pursue you. And those are their rules. Why is there no outcry? Why is not like, man, I can't believe they have those rules. I'm going to wear my hat backwards if I want to. Everywhere has rules. Why are we surprised that God has some requirements in his word for us? Why are we offended by it? Why are we bothered by it? Instead, we come to God and say, Lord, I'm living under your lordship. I will follow you, whatever it takes. Because in my heart, I can have these idols. And we're on this road to Calvary. And we're saying, God, I'm, I'm going I'm to sacrifice like you did. There is the famous poem by Robert Frost, The Road Less Traveled. My friend, this is the road less traveled. And one day we will get it as a church. One day we will see discipleship is the goal. That I'm willing to give everything for God. That I'm willing to sacrifice for Him. That I'm willing to say, Lord, you are first. Because after all, isn't that what the scripture teaches in Matthew 16? Or Matthew 6.33? But seek first the kingdom of God, His righteousness, and then all these things will be added unto you. Why is the, the church, we struggle with that? Why is it that we just find it so hard to put God first in everything? Where it's a struggle to say, Lord, today I need you. And God's like, man, get in your word and I'd love to speak with you. And I'll direct you. Oh, I don't have time for that, God. Just fix all my problems. 
God's like, no, seek me. Put me first in your life. And I'll work these things out. So church, we have an idol problem. I don't think anybody has a 10-foot Buddha statue or they got some weird thing that they're worshiping. But we do have an idol problem. It's anything we put before God. It's anything that you say is bigger than God. And this morning we need to say, Lord, let's tear that idol down. You see, before you can take that next step in greater things with God, there's got to be some idols that are removed. So this morning, can we all stand with heads bowed and eyes closed? And this morning we want to say, Lord, yeah, the idols have to go. Lord, this is the journey of doing difficult things. And there's no such thing as commitmentless Christianity. That you are calling me to be a disciple. But the things that get in the way of me being a disciple and making disciples are my own idols. And so with heads bowed and eyes closed, I want us to sing a song. But before we sing that song, may I just pray for you? You say, Pastor, this morning, yeah. Before... Before you do anything else, just know, Pastor, God's dealing with me. But I need prayer. Would you slip up your hand? Can I pray for you? Put it like that. I said that. I Oh, God bless you. Oh, God bless you. Amen. Amen. As we sing this song together, begin to release those idols. Begin to say, God, I'm done. I surrender. As we sing. Thank you again for spending time with us today, and a special thanks to those who give generously to Southridge Church. It is because of you that this ministry is possible. And if you want to learn more about Southridge, you can follow us on social media at Southridge Now. If you enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share it with a friend, or even take a screenshot and share it on your social story. Make sure you tag Southridge Church and let it be a blessing to somebody else. Thank you again, and we'll catch you on the next one.